Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Felipe Riccio and June Rodell from Goodnight Hospitality coming up in a little bit. But first, I am joined by my co-host this week. She is a freelance beverage consultant who is responsible for cocktail programs at a number of Houston bars and restaurants. Linda Salinas, welcome back to the show. How are you? Uh, I'm awesome. Uh, Texas is open. So here we go. (laughs) Texas is open. And there have been some repercussions from that. So let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, two Houston restaurants, FM Kitchen and Musifer, temporarily closed after their employees tested positive for COVID-19. As of the recording of this on Monday, Musifer remains closed. FM Kitchen reopened over the weekend. Linda, let me throw it to you. Obviously, if, you, if you're operating a restaurant and you have an employee test positive, you have to tell people because it, it is possible, I don't know how likely it is, but it is certainly possible that that employee could potentially transmit the virus to customers. So restaurants have to disclose this and then they have to close to clean and make sure that none of their employees contacted it. You have to wait out a week or however long to test everybody and then, then you can reopen. Do you think that there are long-term repercussions for restaurants that close temporarily, or, or do you think people will sort of appreciate their honesty, understand that the virus is highly contagious, and be willing to go back there once they reopen? I mean, I think it's a really interesting, well, a couple of different things are going on. Um, I think that it's really hard to start off, like, how long has Mustafa uh, been open? Yeah, like two or three weeks when they have yeah, to Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that for them, they they have to and they must, you know, work their PR game as best as possible. Now, I'm not saying that someone that's a longstanding, like, Claiborne cafeteria or something, you know, like, I mean, ev- I think everyone has a responsibility to be as transparent as an operator and an owner and I mean, knowing and understanding your guests and what what's acceptable is, you know, is uh, is really up to really up to the, the owners. You know, like I think it's a, it's a, I think it's a difficult situation. You know, I think it's a difficult situation because, I mean, it kind of sounds like to me, you know, there's a hundred other restaurants that are in Houston. You know, why are you going to go to a restaurant that has had covid you know, positive, positive testing and and COVID, you know what I mean? That's, it's, it's, it's tough. But I mean, again, if you're a longstanding restaurant and you've, and you're, and you're careful and you're using protocols, you know, like safety protocols and, you know, and someone gets sick, you know, like, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult pickle, you know, to swallow. I don't know. Right. Right. I mean, you have to close and you have to tell people, yeah. And then, you know, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think for a new restaurant, it's tough because you haven't built, you haven't built any reputation and it is likely that the first thing people will hear about you is that you had an employee test positive for coronavirus. Yeah. Even I though mean, I had a really spectacular meal at Musifer and I think people should go try it, I understand that now there will be some reluctance whenever, when they do reopen, even though, you know, they will reopen carefully and with procedures in place and with employees having tested negative. Right. I, you know, they want to do this the right way for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, uh, I think, you know, being, being transparent and, um, I mean, especially in the beginning, but I mean, this is, I mean, people are going to get sick. You know, well, so that uh, was sort of my other question for you then, like, should we sort of expect that lots of restaurants over the next several months will probably go through some sort of cycle like this? The, the more we open up, you know, without 
without say a uh, without a vaccine, right? The the virus we're going to live with this virus for a while. Yeah. And so maybe it's just inevitable that just like a lot, you know, people are going to get sick, like it's going to happen in restaurants too. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and then you have to think about, you know, like there's kitchen people that live together. There's bartenders and servers that live together. You know, I mean, we're like, I'm grateful to see that so many people are going back to work and there's definitely a lot of places that are doing, that are taking really good care of their staff, you know, um, and making sure that they're not in harm's way, you know, but people are going to get sick, you know? Um, right. And I think, I think from a diner's perspective, the important thing is, and, and we've been saying this for a few weeks now, is to go where you feel comfortable. If you're, if you walk into a restaurant and it doesn't look like they're following the distancing rules, which have changed slightly mm-hmm. to either still, still six feet or potentially uh, four feet with partitions, you know, if, if people are standing around, that's not supposed to be happening. If they're using permanent menus, which is not supposed to like all that stuff, then you know, if they're not taking those requirements seriously, then you have to wonder about everything else and you should probably uh, not stay there. Yeah, no, absolutely. But of course, you know, like, you know, I'm out in the market um, and there's places that, that are like, nah, dude, Corona's over. You know, our staff doesn't need to wear a mask or, you know, and use real menus and all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, it's a wild, wild west out there, you know? So it's crazy, man. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. I I mean, we'll talk about this in the restaurants of the week a little bit, but uh, I do have that sense that there is a, there is certainly a portion of the population that is not worried about this. They're just going out. They want things to be back to normal. Um, they're ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and I, and I'm again, like, you know, there are places that are like, Hey, we don't want our staff to make, you know, uh, wear masks and all that other stuff and, you know, so on and so forth. I mean, it's a tough one. All right. Let's move on to another tough one. Topic number two. Why is it always on my call that we always end up talking about the wackiest things on my call why can't we talk about something fun <laughs> well like we used to <laughs> well first of all in my defense i gave you the option to pass on this and you said you wanted to talk about it okay all right all right <laughs> all right cuchara the mexico city bistro in montrose that is on my list of houston's top 100 restaurants found itself in social media hot water this last week when co-owner charlie mcdaniel described the George Floyd march as a parade. Cam Franklin, lead singer of The Suffers, was kind of leading the charge to call him out. Uh, Linda, I saw you chimed in on this. What do you what do you kind of think about this? Because Cam called Charlie McDaniel a racist for for using the word parade to describe the march, the protest that saw sixty thousand people in downtown Houston, remembering George Floyd. I, I mean, I, I have my perspective on this, but I want to start with you first. Okay. So uh, I have supported that restaurant because of it's one of the owners. I, I, I like, I like to, uh, I would like to preface this by like, obviously I'm Mexican. My name is Linda Salinas. I'm Mexican and I like to support, um, women in business and one of the owners is Anna. Right. Anna Beaven, Charlie McDaniel's wife is wife, from Mexico yes. city. Yes. It is her menu. It is her, she operates the restaurant. It, yes. You know. Yes. Yes. And so I think that Charlie McDaniel's comment as I would not say that it is racist, but I think that it is tone deaf. It was irresponsible as an owner. I think it was irresponsible as an owner, considering considering the climate. You yes, know? I I completely agree with you. 
parade is the exact wrong word to use when describing what took place in downtown Houston last week, right? We throw parades when we're celebrating something, right? We to you know the Astros win the World Series, it's Thanksgiving, it's MLK Day, whatever. Those are parades, right? What happened in downtown was a march in memory of a man who was killed and the four people that were responsible for his death have all been charged with various crimes, including murder. So, and it sparked a worldwide conversation about uh, police behavior and, and all kinds of, all kinds of stuff that, that is far beyond the scope of this podcast. But so it was extremely thoughtless and insensitive of Charlie McDaniel to call it a parade. Yeah. And like, yeah, I mean the problem the real problem is is that his his apology his apology wasn't an apology at all. It was about him and it was about the restaurant or or I just like I, I Right, right. So his I apology remember. his apology has been deleted from social media, so I can't quote it. Yeah. But he tried to float an apology that was roundly criticized and his his initial Facebook post was about well, if 60,000 people can can be downtown together, then, you know, I don't have to have social distancing at my restaurant anymore. Yeah. Which, if he hadn't called it a parade, like, I, it would still be myopic, right? It would still not show a good awareness of the situation, right? People are gathering despite the threat of the virus because they're trying to rectify injustice through a protest, yeah, that's and I'm different gonna, than going out to dinner. Yeah, and I mean, and I think that, like, you know, it, I just think it was wildly irresponsible because, you know, I, I feel bad. I feel bad because I don't want to support that. You know, like, I'm sorry. I I just I don't want to support someone that can't be someone who doesn't understand, who can't re- read the room, so to speak, who doesn't understand yeah, yeah. that it's not just about him. Yeah, it, and and that's you. You know what really upsets me is is that. I don't, I've never seen Charlie work the dining room. You know, I've, I've seen his wife work the dining room. Right. His wife wife has been the face of that restaurant since it opened in 2012. It is known for her recipes. Her sister's art is on the wall. She oversees, they have a, a very notably have a team of all female cooks in that kitchen that work with her to create that. Yeah. And and that's the thing. It's like, you know, and like the bartenders there, you know, like have been there for a really long time. You know, I've even worked with some of those guys when I used to work in restaurants. Like I love supporting all of them, you know, even though it's a little pricier for what it is, you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm willing to support them, you know? And well, yeah, it's, and that, and I think coming from, coming from like, from a, a woman, I'm a beverage professional. I'm in hospitality. I want to support them, but it's just like, man, how could you have just not, not just be so tone deaf and just not look people mess up. Believe me. I, I mess up all the time. I've, I've made various mistakes, but like the power of saying, Hey, you know what? I'm really sorry. And I want to hear your voice. That means so much more. People can make mistakes. And that's the thing. It's like, we like, we like, I think that as people, you know, like with entertainment and, you know, and in hospitality, people can make mistakes and like, it goes a long way, you know? Um, Well, yeah, no, I thought our friend, Chris Frankel, who's a, a bartender who actually created the cocktail program for Kuchara a long time ago and has worked at all over the place, had a, had a really good comment about this. He tweeted, having worn those shoes before, I can say small business myopia is a real thing. The nature of owning a business means that your world has to revolve around it, but you have to be able to pull back and realize you're the only one that feels that way, yeah. right? You get sucked into this vortex where your financial well-being and everything that you've worked for, for I mean, for them for eight years now. Yeah is at risk because of these restrictions on how restaurants operate. And then you see 60,000 people marching downtown and you're like, well, if they can do that, then why can't I seat my dining room? And it's like, you have got to pull back and be smarter and understand that they're not equivalent. Well, and, and, and 
And, and it's yeah. so easy to it's so easy to say the wrong thing on social media and have that amplified far beyond the people that you think you're speaking to, which is what happened to Charlie McDaniel, right? Because Cam Franklin is uh, very popular, very accomplished, and has a big platform. And it, this is undoubtedly going to hurt Kuchara, at least for a little while. Well, yeah. And I mean, and that's the thing. It's like I watched, you know, I watched there was some sort of like, I mean, the apology came on Twitter and I think on Facebook and, you know, and it was a, a kind of a really crummy, you know, it, it, I, didn't, I, it didn't have the, it, it was like three or four paragraphs long and, and I'm it, sorry. It wasn't until like the second to last sentence. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And so, but like, and it was like, you know, there was obviously like 432 likes, you know, like cool people are supporting, but there was a ton of professionals a ton of professionals on that thread of comments, including myself, like, Hey, this isn't, a, this isn't an apology. Please do better. You know, like do better, you know, educate yourself. You All know? Right. So, so I don't want to linger on this too much longer, but are you, are you done with Kuchara or will you go back to Kuchara? I mean, it's going to have to be, it's going to have to be a little while before I, I head over there, you know? There, I, I just think that there's a lot of other people, I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of other people in the business that are, that I would much rather support. You know what I mean? Like. Right. You'll go to, you'll, the next time you want like authentic Mexican cuisine, you'll go to one of Hugo Ortega's restaurants or. You're, you're damn skippy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Topic number three. This is, this is like normal restaurant news. This is, this is. Not related to uh, anything, anything, anything beyond the restaurant world. Uh-huh. Bongoose versus Cobra has been sold. Ah, oh, yeah. New operators. It will now be called Red Dwarf, and it's kind of a hybrid venue that will be kind of a coffee shop in the morning and the afternoon. It will have live music, cocktails, small plates, or bite bar bites maybe. At night, this means that. Ian Rosenberg and Mike Sammons, who founded Mongoose vs. Cobra, are no longer involved with the day-to-day operations. Ian Rosenberg retains his ownership stake in the building, just for, uh, you know, wrapping all the, the behind-the-scenes stuff up. Uh, so let me, just, let me just ask you, what do you think of the idea of Red Dwarf? I mean, I'd, I'd like, I really want to see what that building's going to look like. I mean, I think that, um, I think it's a good idea. I think we're not, we're, we're shifting into a kind of a different, you know, space and time. I think people still are wanting to go places, uh, for daytime, um, coffee, all that good stuff. But, um, that neighborhood's a little funky, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's a lot of new residential that has kind of yeah. sprung up in that neighborhood. So, yeah. and there's not really coffee shops in Midtown that I can think of. I, I mean, there's a Starbucks that I can think of off the top of my head, but there's just not a ton of sort of like daytime coffee, like not in the same way that Montrose has it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's kind of interesting. And then they have this really cool model for the band, which is basically they supply you with a sound engineer and a venue. And then the band is responsible for marketing their performance and the band gets to keep whatever, you know, there, there'll be a cover charge, like five bucks a night. And then whatever the take is at the door, the band gets to keep that. So it's on the band to do the marketing, to push the turnout, to make money, basically. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, mean, I think it's an interesting model. Um, I don't know that we have anything like that right now. The only thing that kind of came to mind for me was when I would go to shows at Fitzgerald's back in the day and, you know, your buddies would be in a band. They'd be like, okay, you have to give them the flyer with our stamp on it. That way we get credit for you. Yeah. So it, it had kind of shades of that. And I, and I do kind of hope it's like smaller local artists, like trying to establish a name for themselves. Like this is a, this seems like an interesting platform for that. Yeah. I mean, I think it was time to change that concept altogether. You know what I mean? They had been trying to mess with some stuff. And I think, I mean, there's just, I think that there's a time it has a, I think there's a, it had a, 
Right. Sometimes yeah. these bars have a shelf life. And, yeah, they have a shelf uh, life. Absolutely. You know. All right. So just to put a pin on this, you have a favorite mongoose versus cobra memory that you would like to share? Uh, of course. Uh, Mike Sammons and I did a Ramos gin off uh, once. Uh, How many Ramoses did you shake? We only did. We literally, we just, we, not even joking, we... He called me like on a Monday night and he's like, Hey, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm bartending tonight. And I'm like, Oh, you're bartending? He's like, Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's, you know, come come by and we'll have a a, a, a set of people like try my Ramos Jim Fizz and then you'll, you know, they'll try your mate Ramos Jim Fizz. And so we only shook two one drink a piece. And then we had a set of our peers, a set of Oh, okay. Okay. So did you, so just to explain for people who aren't familiar, this is a, this cocktail involves an egg and cream and it has to be shaken for like 10 minutes to get the texture right. So did you win the Ramos gin fizz off against Mike Sammons? Well, okay. Uh, no, I lost. My drink looked better. Um, but because he put like extra cream in his, it was just much thicker, bigger, you know, uh, drink. So I, right. I lost, so, I lost, I lost right. my kids. <laughs> All right. So then, so then my, my personal favorite, uh, Mongoose versus Cobra memory is that in the very beginning, Yale Vengroff, whose name is really Yael cause it's a Hebrew word, but she's known as Yale, uh, who is now like this bar- badass bartender in Los Angeles, but she's from Houston. She was working that there. Bar- best bartender like she right in the spirited awards yeah she won best bartender in in the country she's she's anyway but (laughs) she she spent time at mongoose versus cobra and i may or may not have been like very secretly not so quietly totally in love with her uh for a hot second and so i went there you and everybody else (laughs) me and everybody yeah me and hundreds of other people uh, so the night before I was supposed to take the LSAT, I went to Mongoose versus Cobra and had a couple of drinks because it was like a, it was like whatever night it was, it was super quiet and Yale was behind the bar. And I, how could I say no to, you know, a quiet night sitting in front of Yale probably cost me like two or three points on the LSAT, but it's worth it. Ridiculous sucker. All right. That does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Linda, for our restaurants of the week, I just want to talk to you about our recent meal at Squabble, the restaurant in the Heights. You and I had dinner on their patio Saturday night. What did you think of Squabble? I think it was fantastic. I, I mean, it was great. Drinks were, drinks were great. Wine list is fantastic. Like they're, they're probably one of the best restaurants in, at least in the Heights, you know? Oh, um, I think they're, I think they might be one of the best restaurants in Houston right now. Yeah. Based on our meal there. It, I guess the point that I kind of want to make to people is that it felt normal, right? It, it tasted like my previous meals at Squabble. The service experience was good. I mean, yes, they were all wearing masks and being very careful, and the tables are spaced apart, and they're not they're not seating very much of the interior right now. But it felt like an authentic, typical Squabble experience. Yeah, I, I think, and I think one of the reasons I really have always liked Terry is he's a like it's his their their service it comes from from everyone like and i i you could tell that like everyone gets that same service it's not just because we know each other and so on and so forth like i think service is such a big deal right now you know um you're having to lean into your service more than anything yes yes i think that the servers really know the menu i think they you know we you know they're using hibiscus tea ice cubes in one of the cocktails and you flag down just a random server. We're like, Hey, what is that? And he told us, right. Yeah. They have deep knowledge of the menu. Um, they're adept at making recommendations. They're good at making people feel welcome. It was, yeah, it was really outstanding. Yeah. It was really good. Let me ask you one other thing. Have you been to a bar yet? Cause I went to Anvil last week and it's a little bit strange 
sitting in Anvil without bar stools, right? Mm-hmm. With mm-hmm. just with table service and no bar stools, and the the drinks were delicious, and I still love that room, and the staff is great, but it just doesn't it doesn't feel the same the same as it usually would in the in the way that like restaurant dining feels pretty normal right now. I think bars are, I think it's really hard for bars right now. I think it's hard for us as I'm, I'm a bar professional and, and like, it's really hard that all you want to do is talk to your friends. And I mean, and that really, I mean, right. make- uh, what you mean is yeah. your friends, you mean the bartenders, all you want to do is sit at the bar yeah. like, roll and talk to the bartenders. Yeah. And you can't absolutely. do that right now. No, you can't. I mean, you go to, you go to a, a, a bar, I've gone to several bars and the relationship, the, the, the space that you have when someone makes you a drink and talk to them about why and how they, they got there to make that drink for you. Or, you know, whether it be just like a regular old mojito or whatever, like, I mean, I think that that's, I think we're missing that and it's really hard, you know, and not, and, but you know, what's weird is, is it not everybody follows all the same rules, you know? So I walked into a bar this weekend and with, I was the only person with a mask on. It was a Saturday night and I was like, man, this really stinks. You know, it was, it was myself and just the bartenders and everybody walking around all nimbly bambly. Yeah, no, I had, I had that experience at Wooster's Garden Saturday night where the staff is wearing masks and there's hand sanitizer by the entrance and scattered around the you know, both outside and inside, and then none of the customers are wearing masks, and it was, you know, even with fewer, t- like, they had maybe some fewer tables out, but it's still, that that still makes me a little nervous, and I, I probably, I'm going to stay away from places like that, I think, in the short term, even yeah. though I love Wooster's Garden, even though I think they're taking reasonable precautions with their staff, it's the other customers that still make me nervous. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you're people who are younger than I am and maybe healthier than I am, like they, they have a different set of equations and, and considerations. But I think, uh, I think even though Anvil feels a little bit strange, it's relative, uh, lack of capacity is more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and they're, and they're doing, and they are doing they're keeping their staff very safe. And that, and that's like, just as a, as a whole is, is like, to me, that's, that's really gratifying to me, you know? Yeah. Um, Cause there's plenty of, there's plenty of operators that are not doing the same, you know? Right. Um, and we're not, we're not going to name names because that sounds like a path to nasty lawyer letters. No. All right. Linda, that does it for the restaurants of the week. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. Hey, yeah. Thanks a lot. All right. That does it for the restaurants of the week. I will be right back with Felipe Riccio and June Rodell. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I am joined this week by two of the partners in Goodnight Hospitality. That is the restaurant group behind Goodnight Charlie's, Montrose Cheese and Wine, Rosie Cannonball, and the upcoming restaurant March. Let me introduce you so people can hear you individually. Master Sommelier June Rodil, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for being here. Chef Felipe Riccio, I think this is your third time on the show. That's right, third time. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> Dang, you're so popular. Nah, I haven't screwed it up yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I felt like this was a, a good time to kind of check in with y'all because Felipe, I think the last time we spoke, it was before either Montrose Cheese and Wine or Rosie Cannonball had opened. And so, obviously, I, I think it That's may right. have been before June joined the company. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think it was it was right before. I think we, I think we knew. Uh, and, yeah, it was, like, right before. So it's been a, it's been a whirlwind. Um, uh, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. But, June, let me, let me just kind of start with you because – you know, I, I always like to kind of inquire about people's careers. I mean, how did you how did you become interested in the world of wine? Um, I was 
really good at drinking. <laughs> no, I, honestly, I um, so uh, super common story. I think you know I was uh, in college at UT in Austin and um, was working at a restaurant. My first restaurant job was at the Olive Garden. Um, so I actually fell in love with just restaurants and hospitality and just kind of the pace of things and, you know, the whirlwind of day to day in a restaurant first. And then I eventually started working at the Driscoll Grill. And at the time, um, it was a really highly lauded, one of the only tasting menus in the city of Austin. And I got to start doing the pairings um, and become a captain to do the wines. And I just really fell in love with it. Um, I love like food. I love eating or dining. I love like the commiserating, but I also realized that I um, really was good at wine too. And that's kind of just how it happened. So when did you, you've been a master sommelier for a while now, right? When did you, when did you get your pin? Five years ago. So 2015, I mean, just like May 21st, 2015. Uh, And then just, I mean, you obviously, you had a a good career in Austin. You were with, uh, Mormon McGuire Hospitality and, and help them grow a whole bunch of places. What made Houston seem like the right choice to for the next step in your career? Uh, bigger city, dare I say better food, big diversity, and a huge opportunity with a group. Um, I, I loved my time at McGuire Mormon. I, I learned a lot. I opened, whew, probably I think it was like five or six concepts within the span of five years, two different two different states, but I really, you know, I, I was a partner in a few of them, but to start something with a group of people from the ground up, that seemed like a great project that everybody really wanted to focus on hospitality, but also treating our employees properly, like promoting diversity, kind of everything that I had hoped to ever do in a company. But at the same time, you know, McGuire Mormon had, its own volition. Like it was so big and it already had such a huge movement behind it. It was nice to be at the start of something or at the beginnings of something. And then Felipe, let me, let me bring you back into this. I mean, what has it been like kind of working with June and, and getting these places open? I mean, honestly, it's been incredible to work with June. I mean, she has so much experience and she is you know, she's so organized. She's so, um, you know, she's very direct, which is so important when you are, you know, opening um, multiple concepts, you know, one concept, but multiple concepts being sort of back to back. You know, she she just gets it done and is able to 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 really, um, you know, manage, you know, projects and, 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 and is a leader for people. And, and that's sort of been so inspiring. And, you know, it's just pushed me to to work harder and smarter and faster um, you know, in, in, in the operations of the restaurant and obviously continue to push, you know, my culinary team, um, you know, to sort of, to sort of match that drive. Um, yeah. So it's been, it's been incredible. I mean, I've learned a ton, you know, from June. Likewise. Yeah. So, so June, I mean, how, so as you said, you've opened several restaurants over the years. From your perspective, how did how did the Rosie Cannonball opening go compared to kind of your past experiences and maybe what you expected? Oh, I mean, it was pretty amazing. I will say, I, I, I in the past, you know, you are always on the clock, super, super worried about like. Oftentimes, you open before you should open, and I'm not saying that we opened on the right day because, quite frankly, I don't think either. Felipe or I will ever remember the opening of Montrose Cheese and Wine because we opened <laughs> two weeks apart. Um, but I think it was wonderful to have the time with the team. A lot of times you hire your management team and then you go, go, go. But we really made the time and, you know, we could not have done this without the help of our partners, Pete and Bailey McCarthy, to be able to make sure that we had time with our management team to get to know who they are, how they work, like make sure that they're a part of the development of the company. Um, And it's been, it's been really, really great. Super, super proud. I mean, you have assembled some real badasses, you know, not to, not to mince words, but I mean, people with Michelin stars and, and all kinds of stuff. I mean, is it is it easier to bring a team like that together because they're so experienced or is it harder because they have so much experience that they have like really strong ideas probably about how things should be done? 
I think we should lean into their strong ideas. I yeah. want people with experience. And I think that, you know, again, like being able to have the time with them to see what, you know, platforms, what things are interested in and to make the time to hear what they want. And, and frankly, like, it's still not enough time. There never is enough time. Like you always, especially after you open, like, I mean, Felipe will always say it too. Like after we open, there's no time. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you got to take the time now. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess from my perspective, it, at least from the outside, it, it feels like it's gone pretty smoothly. The food at, at Rosie Cannonball was no worse than maybe a B plus when you opened. And it's, it's like a, well, I mean, I called it the best new restaurant that opened in Houston last year, so I'm on the, oh, I'm on the thanks. record as far as that goes. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. We will hold you to it forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess from your perspective, I mean, Felipe, are you, are you kind of happy with where you're at, or, or how do you? I'm sort of maybe pre-COVID. Like, yeah. how were you kind of feeling about where the restaurant, how the restaurant was developing? Well, you know, I, th- I sort of pre-COVID, we were we were you know almost at six months, uh, and we were already at that point. Where we were like, okay, like what what's next? Where what, where are we taking the menu? Obviously, with with Good Time Farm growing and you know walking into into spring, and how are we going to take advantage of that and and start working on 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 changes? Um, you know, so that was like right before COVID, we were working uh, on 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 a lot of changes to the menu. Um, and then obviously this whole thing, you know, jumped the gun, but you know, this whole situation happened and, you know, uh, we were super safe. We were super ahead of the curve, I would say on, on making decisions. Uh, but at the same time, once we were, we felt safe, we were able to, you know, work with the, work with the team that I have at Rosie to really, uh, come up with a lot of new dishes. And, you know, I mean, the, the menu that we opened with, uh, once we were able to do dining, you know, there's a lot of new stuff. So, you know, it's as crazy as this whole situation has been. It gave us a little bit of time to to change the menu more than we would have otherwise. It would have been, you know, more you know, progressive uh, evolution. Um, so I, I'm I'm ha- I was really happy where I was at, but there was definite things that I was like, okay, like now we see what people want, uh, and these are the changes that we need to make. So it allowed us, you know, to make those changes. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the you know, maybe shutting down kind of ahead of the curve for coronavirus and, and making some, some decisions. I mean, you guys, you guys did some, some really creative stuff that I I think is worth talking about. I mean, you, you, you hired local artists to kind of, you, you covered your windows, but you, you hired local artists to decorate them. You, you distributed produce boxes to unemployed hospitality workers. I mean, how, how did you kind of come to those decisions and, and how do you kind of feel like, um, how do you kind of feel about them now that you've you've kind of looking back on them? So I think like it goes back to the question that you asked about the team, you know, having this group of badasses, right? Like we just didn't stop. You know, it was like, okay, you know, we we're gonna shut down the restaurants. We you know, or you know, it was we go to to go only. And then we decided to it would be best to limit what the you know, the amount of people that were in the building. So we just went down to management, we kept our team on board. But management was in the building and sort of, you know, just uh, the, the work continued. Um, you know, we were all used to working, you know, 60, 80 hours a week. It was a lot less, but it was still a lot of work. And having that team that can bring ideas from different backgrounds uh, was really, I think, what led us to come up with all these different, you know. And Eric, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was a lot of stuff was on the fly. You know, I was like, all right, what do we do? We got produce from the farm. What do we do with it? Okay, let's give it away. Oh, we don't have enough. We're get, doing 150 boxes, right? Okay, let's partner up with, you know, let's ask Chef's Produce and different farmers and Euromed for, for dry goods. And, you know, so it's definite. You just keep going. You don't stop and things happen. Jude, let me, let me bring you back in on this. I mean, you, I think one of the things that kind of defines the Rosie experience for me is that that you know, that sort of commitment to hospitality, the, the thoughtful little touches, the, the glass of, uh, you know, sparkling wine when you sit down, the the mints with the logo stamped on them at the end. I mean, how do you how do you continue hospitality when you are maybe interacting with people like through the windows of their cars? It's so hard. I mean, and that's something that we talk to our teams about all the time. And and. I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, like sometimes I probably forcefully do it to our team because I always say like how like we are defined by our hospitality 
And how do we showcase that when all we have are our words on social media, you know, via email, on the phone, like we don't have the ability to have the human interaction and that's what hospitality people crave. Um, so we have to think about it in a completely different way. And, and you know, some people may think that I'm very like micromanagey about hospitality in terms of our management staff. I think that they appreciate it. <laughs> but like it's things like that, like I will look at emails that they write to guests during this time to just talk about ways that it can be interpreted in a more open and and polite manner because we only have our words right now. You know, we don't have the ability to showcase our body language or a smile or our eyes or anything like that. So we really have to talk about how to translate properly the full intent of our hospitality. So be it, you know, we, we write a thank you card for every to-go item from both of our locations. Um, I think that's really important. And then to start, you know, one of our most important things is really saying thank you to our regulars who've stood by us while we've changed our ways, especially in the youth of our company, um, and establishing that connection even through to-go and delivery. Like if we know that you are someone who is allergic to alliums, we're going to know that right away, even through to go. Um, if we know that you've been drinking Zinfandel and we have a new producer, we'll say thank you and, you know, hope you enjoy this. By the way, we're going to have this new producer coming in next week. So be on the lookout for it. I mean, little things like that to keep people connected to us. And more importantly, I think us to them is, is crucial because that's, that's a lot of the reason why people are in the industry. Yeah. And then you're you're navigating your way through hospitality during coronavirus, and then last week the whole restaurant world had to sort of reconcile with the the death of George Floyd and what to say and what not to say. How did you calculate that, and and what have you come up with? I mean, we immediately. I think that for the most part, Felipe and I were you know we were there in the restaurant the entire time that this was happening, and we both were extremely sad um, and extremely just concerned about how how to help like we want to we want to know like how to help this is like a human a human like a human effort is more important than anything else so we knew that we need to put this in the forefront so we called our our uh, partners Kate and Bailey and we talked on Monday morning because we both had said we want to do something and basically you know Pete and Bailey were like that sounds great. Let's do it. But we've got to talk about what we're going to do next. Like it can't just be one, a one and done, you know? And I think that's really something that has galvanized the partners like through coronavirus, through, you know, understanding how to, or not even understanding, but trying to figure out how to navigate through, through the current black lives matter um, platform and through human rights platforms. So we all care. Um, we decided that yeah. we wanted to, um, we are uh, donating all proceeds from every pizza and every bottle of June's Rosé uh, that's sold in the month of June to the NAACP as a first step. Um, in a way, it's, you know, you can donate something just by eating something that's very, I don't know, it's inexpensive, it's small, it can be one pizza, you can come often, you can buy cases of wine. You can have a glass of wine so people can give in different ways to this platform. And it's very small that many people can be involved in that platform. And that's kind of the message, right? Like it's, it can take just one small act to help and do something big. And I'm an idiot. I thought we were like, I was like, oh, we're going to, maybe we'll give like $10,000 like in the first week. We're at like $5,700, you know, the oh, first wow. week of June. So it's, yeah. it's pretty amazing. But what's important is, okay, this is our first call to action because it, we wanted to take immediate action because it's extremely important um, to, to do something right away. But we also need to be thoughtful about what our next actions are. So we compiled a survey for both the staff and the public to give us ideas of how to be more aware other platforms in which to give, um, you know, we need, we need and want to have charitable initiatives because that's what really helps us be hospitable. It's kind of, you know, it's the, it's the definition of hospitality is to bring service. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, it was 
quick for us to to act, I think, because being in the restaurant, hearing the staff talk about it, understand that the staff is aware of what's happening, right? They, you know, they, they're affected by it. You know, we had staff members that were definitely upset about what was going on, right? And, and, and visibly, um, you know, and, and I think restaurants uh, are sort of an anchor of, you know, the social web in, 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 in our country, right? Uh, in our community. So I think like, for us, like speaking out was just part of uh, our our mandate, right? I mean, we are we're uh, we're always on in people's faces with social media and always out there, and we want you to come in and, and spend time with us, right? So, really uh, putting ourselves out there for what we believe was just part of the way I think we operate normally. Well, and and I think you know, I mean, Felipe is an immigrant, and and June is a woman of yeah. color. I mean. I'm totally an immigrant too. I'm still, oh, I'm still yeah. not a U.S. citizen. Oh well, yeah, there you neither go. of us, neither of yeah. us are U.S. citizens. I mean, yes. you know, which is so. I mean, there's a, there's got to be a sense of kinship there too. Sure. sure. To our, to our community and our staff. You know, I mean, we are lucky to be in the industry that is relatively diverse. I mean, I think there's definitely, you know, uh, at the top, it's very, very male and white driven, right? But, but. Overall, the community and the restaurant industry is very diverse. So we are, it's just part of, you know, part of who we are. No, absolutely. All right. Let me, let me shift us back to a more restaurant focused topic. Yeah. Uh, I, I could be polite about this or I could be really direct. What's your, what do you, what do you prefer? Direct. <laughs> what's up? Always. What's up with March and when will I be eating there? Well, Let's be direct. Uh, the direct answer is not this summer, for sure. I mean, we really, we want to focus on what's happening now and we need to focus on our teams because, you know, there's so much stress in regards to what they're dealing with day to day and not just like the changes of the restaurant, but like emotionally and, you know, like psychologically. So we want to be there for the team. Um, we do have our team at March that's still there. So they're remaining, um, there our in terms of like helping team. our entire team yeah. our entire team on march yeah. is still there so they're training they're um you know they're doing virtual lessons online if they're in the front of house we have our core sommelier team um that's actually selling the march seller retail and also we're doing blind tastings etc um we're developing cocktails uh, they're working at the farm so essentially we had an entire menu planned and an entire opening planned around a concept and a season and so to say like we're going to open in three months like we've got to we've got to develop the, ne the next season that's viable in the fall in order to be able to develop properly what we were trying to do um yeah no no that 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 is sad but that makes sense um felipe you haven't talked very much about kind of your plans for the menu or the dining experience do you do you have anything you feel comfortable sharing or, or are you still kind of where are you with that sure yeah, I mean, you know, I think we definitely wanted it, a lot of it to be, you know, a surprise. And it's, it's such an experience, right, that we definitely kept it close to the chest, right? But, I mean, I think it's been, you know, it's been very interesting, you know, having this project and it developing and bringing people on board and seeing how they react to it, you know, my, my sous chef team and, and seeing where their, where their head is at and how they understand it from, from me explaining it. Uh, and we all have different experiences. So we all see it, you know. We all understand it a little bit different, but you know, I think, you know, we're we're, we're seeking to do something that where it's a small team. Um, we've talked about it's sort of this research-based project, but at the end of the day, it's just the, the ability to to showcase the best that we can do, right? So that's why it's a limited menu. That's why it's a tasting menu. That's why it's limited uh, amount of people. Um, so we want something that is very it's showcasing the best that the team can do without it being stuffy or, you know, like, you know, all this, all this foo-foo, you know, frilly things, uh, just really good food that we're putting a lot of work into that we're, you know, we're growing a lot of the produce. We're going out to the farm and harvesting and processing and, you know, preserving, um, and really translate that into, okay, here, here's really good food at the end of the day. It has to be tasty. It's gotta be delicious, but this is what we've learned from us researching this idea of what is the Mediterranean. And it's such a large topic. It gives us so much to look into. Um, you know, so it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's challenging, you know, because it's, you've got you to gotta sort of dig in and really come up with something creative that's still not too out there that people don't connect to it. 
And then June, just I mean, I I skimmed the wine list that you guys put online so that people could start uh, buying some of the bottles, but I I don't have the knowledge to to ask you an intelligent question about it. So so just tell me a little bit about like kind of putting that that cellar together because it just it just looks like it's covering a, a whole ton of ground. Oh, it is. It is. And we love to buy. So that's why we're selling it now, too, because we need to make more room. I mean, truly, you know, I, I've been buying wine for a really long time, but this program is Mark Sayers' program. <clears throat> he's our uh, beverage director, and he's amazing. Um, and he's really leading the team. Now, just as the March concept for Felipe is almost like a love letter to what inspires him, like this list is and needs to be and needs to continue to develop to be what inspires that team. Um, and a lot of it is actually classics um, and new classics in terms of, you know, high end burgundies and Bordeaux. We're trying to go as uh, deep into um, uh, vintages as possible. It's quite difficult in Texas. So, you know, it takes a lot of time and flourishing relationships um, as much as possible to try to get those wines. And it's been extremely difficult, quite frankly, especially with um, the coronavirus uh, to start really talking more to importers on what the next vintages are, et cetera. But, but truly what it is, what it needs to be is something that's constantly developing. It's obviously something that's going to be high end um, with high end producers, but it also needs to be accessible as well. Um, which is why we have the team that we have. Like they are able to sell expensive things, but they are also able to sell inexpensive things with the same with the same note of hospitality, which is really important. All right, and what is this? What is this Lebanese winery? Because I noticed that was well, like a, yes. a big section of the list. Oh well, yeah. So it's Chateau Mouzard, and it's actually it's important to me. It's important to Felipe. It's important to Mark. Um, it is a wine that. Um, it's a, the first person winemaker that I ever met in the, you know, industry is Serge Hoshar, who is uh, the, one of the original owners um, of Chateau Musar. It's still family run by his son, uh, Mark. And it is, it is iconic. And it's also, they're also iconoclast, right? So it's kind of the winery of Lebanon that drinks like high-end Bordeaux, but tastes nothing like it. It's just its own unique thing. Ages so well, it's super beautiful, and it was like nothing that I ever tasted. And definitely a gem in the wine professionals world. So something that we really want to hallmark. And 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 they opened their cellars in in Lebanon, in the Bacaw Valley, to us to be able to bring those wines in, which was really amazing. And I mean, you have vintages. I I mean, I was I was only skimming, but it looked like you have vintages that go back what into the seventies and eighties. So the, we have uh, a couple in the 60s as well. I think wow. we have 60s. Yeah. Yeah, those wines are incredible. They're beautiful wines, and, and they and they last so long. Yeah, I mean, this is honestly this is why I love working with Felipe is because he likes to drink wine too. So he's like, will he's so ready and willing to like understand it and loves it and wants to like learn how the food is going to go with it. And this is something that you know he he already had. In his uh, in his portfolio of wines that he loves, so it's great to be able to to have that on a on a wine list. Well, yes, I I remember Felipe as you know my bartender at Camerata, yeah. As yeah. much as I as much That's as I, I remember him. him for uh, Mangio macaroni pop ups and you know cooking cooking at you know reef or uh, P and P even. Yeah, so. I mean so. I met Felipe like as that too. And I remember coming in to help with the John Bonet dinner um, at Camerata. And, yeah. and they were like, yeah, Felipe is doing the entire menu. And I was like, oh, Felipe Riccio is a cook. I did not know the that. Bartender? So, okay. yeah. yeah. I, like, I was like, what's going to happen? <laughs> what yeah, that, that was such an incredible dinner. I mean, that honestly, so like the whole dinner, like, you know, we had, I had so much access to the wine and to the winemakers. And it was like just a, open door right and i think it was some of the best pairings some of the best pairings i've, I've ever done and, and, and enjoyed as well so uh, i i remember that dinner fondly yeah i remember like shawty mormon the winemaker um yeah he was he was like clapping his hands like a child like Felipe, Felipe. yeah yeah that's, that's where i developed my man crush for for sashi mormon <laughs> <laughs> all right well bringing up camarada does bring me to to one other topic which is that 
you know, in, in some way, I kind of feel like this conversation is is missing someone in the sense that the person who brought you into Goodnight Hospitality, David Keck, is no longer with the company. And and look, I'm I'm I I don't expect anyone to say anything negative about David. David is a I consider David a friend, and uh, I'm sure you do too. But but just what has it been like to kind of move forward as a hospitality group without someone who was involved with it from the very beginning? I mean, I'll, I'll go. Um, I think that it's been, you know, it's been one of those situations where no one could have understood what was going to happen next. So yeah. it's not even been a situation where we have to or think about it because we've got to act and we've got to look at what's right in front of us. So, I mean, David left at the end of February and then we launched directly into having to figure out what our actions were for COVID and, and then moving and now like reopening from it. So it's been one of those things where, you know, frankly, out of necessity, the, we had to continue on as a group of four partners. Um, and it has, you know, to use the word again, it has galvanized us because yeah. what we were met with immediately was something that was so beyond anything about like partnerships or who we are as a company or an industry. It was, it's a global pandemic. So we've got to make moves and make decisions together. Yeah. I think definitely the, the, the onset of, of this, this pandemic definitely changed the way I think we maybe would have reacted to, to all the changes. Uh, Cause we just had to keep going and be there for the team. Um, you know, uh, and, and I think, that, I mean, that, when 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 David's decision to to move to Vermont, you know, when he when he told us about it, you know, that's the first thing that we thought about too. The team, okay, how are we going to keep the team together? You know, we've all we've all started this. We all have seen it through to the opening, and then you know, there's another opening coming up. We got to be there for the team, right? And then just um, you know, the pandemic happened, and again, like June said, galvanized the partners to say, okay, we are there for the team. Let's move forward. Um, let's just keep going. Um, and so, you know, I think there's been very little time to sort of look back. Yeah, fair enough. So, so I guess moving forward, kind of, I, I guess if, if March is going to be sort of pushed to the fall, like, what are you, well, what are you kind of looking forward to this summer? Like, what are you, what are you excited about? I mean, I'm excited about our new dishes. They're bomb. They're so good. Um, super proud of the, the Sioux team um, at Rosie's and it's so they took the time that they were given and really hit it out of the park concept wise. Yeah. So I'm super excited for this new menu. I'm excited just to see people, quite frankly, um, yeah. to get back to operations in a way where our team feels comfortable. And that's still a work in progress, Eric. Like it's like, it's not like we open and our team is like, woo, yeah, we're here. Like they're concerned. Like we want to make sure that we're doing the right thing. So it's going to take time. You know, they've been out of, out of the, out of the groove for months. So it's going to take months to get back into the habit of things. And that's what we really want to focus on. Yeah. I think getting to, you know, we were in such a, a rhythm, you know, in January and February, I mean, we had great months, uh, both of those months and we were really excited to, to go into the spring and then into the, the, the summer, be able to open March. Right. But like June said, like the team really, all the support that we gave them to, you know, to, to stay on and keep working and give them time to be with their families and feel safe. You know, they all sort of gave it back to us with this, with the hard work and, and, you know, the sous chef team and, and really creating dishes that spoke to what Rosie is, which is hard, you know, like a lot of the times, like, especially for me, like I'm honestly, Eric, you probably know this. It takes me a lot of words to explain something that you know, <laughs> get it out of my head. Like I got to get it out of my head. It's in my head, but I got to be able to explain it. Uh, so the sous chef team really like taking and seeing the previous dishes and listening and, 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 and driving with each other and with myself. And come up with come up with dishes that really speak to what Rosie's about uh, was super like just exciting because they get it. And then from then on, you just you take it and you run with it, right? So, and I'm excited for that evolution, that experience to happen at with the March team as well. And it's been great, uh, you know. But I'm looking forward to it, and I'm also looking forward to the farm. Um, you know, the work that the team at Good Time Farm and with the partnership with Pete and Bailey you know, has been incredible. Um, we were just out there. I'm sunburned from it um, and tired. Uh, but, you know, seeing the high tunnels and seeing we were planting cover crops and then eventually, we're, you know, we're getting ready to plan for, for late fall 
uh, sorry, late summer, uh, seeing those, again, seeing what we, sowing what we, you know, what we are reaping, what we sowed is going to be exciting for that team as well. Well, and, and, and I'm excited that it looks like your pastry chef, Sean Gall, has brought back that meringue dessert with the peach sorbet in the middle. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. And, and you can order it to go, and it's like a family style. It's big. It's awesome. <laughs> Melba Pavlova kit. Yeah. Or just I, for one if I eat it. Yeah, I was going to say, I live by myself, so as long as, yeah, I challenge accepted, I guess, is kind of my <laughs> Yes, thing. yes. Dude, I, I will never share that dessert. It's so good. I love it so much. I love that combination. Yeah. All right. Oh, and just um, do you think, will we see, I know live music and bars are so complicated right now. Do you think we'll see yeah. Goodnight Charlie soon or, or kind of what is your what is your rough thought on that? The rough thought is that it's so hard to make that decision because conceptually speaking, it's just the the I guess sanctions in which we are restricted completely denies what that concept is. So it's hard to yeah. do, you know, like you have to sit, there's no dancing, like it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, so we have had a lot of inquiries for private events there, which has been great because it can be seated, it can be very very regulated. Um, it's spacious for that. So right now we're focusing on that. And we're actually, again, it's kind of same thing that Rosie's has done with their time. Like the team is still working there. So, you know, our, our uh, cooks at Goodnight Charlie's provide family meal for our teams. So they're still working. They're developing new things. Our bar team is learning how to make, you know, new drinks, things like that. So we're still trying to give them a forum to learn and to be part of the industry um, in the meantime. But it's, it's a, t it's a tough decision to make, you know, cause you've got yeah. to ask like, are we, and does it even make sense? You know? Right. Yeah. No. Right. I mean, you know, I had Linda Salinas on the show earlier and I, I mean, I went to Anvil last week and Anvil without people sitting at the bar talking to the bartenders. I mean, the drinks are still delicious and their, their hospitality is always really on point, but like, it just doesn't feel the same. Right. And so I, I I totally understand that about Goodnight Charlie's. If there's not dancing, if there's not a band on stage, it's, yeah, not, what are we? it's not the experience that I yeah. have come to expect. So Yeah, exactly. and you know, when, when, when all this happened, we really said, okay, let's, let's be as fair and equitable. Let's get everyone out of the buildings. Let's get everyone home and being safe, right? And then we obviously had to pivot and say, okay, concept by concept, what are they? How, how do they move forward? What do we have to do? You know, MCW, like we did, you know, retail online. We went from from not having a website to having every single skew of wine and, you know, a rotating selection of cheese and all of our retail products orderable online in two days. Like, that took a lot of work and we did yeah. it completely. And, man, and, and that then, team yeah. killed it. They crushed it. Yeah. So great. So, you know, I think in that, like, put us forward as as a as a true retail shop in, in a lot of our guests minds you know which which we were like is it a retail shop is it a wine bar we obviously you know we want it to be a retail shop where you can come and hang out right but i think that even that drove the point because we were they the team did so well with retail um you know and then you know the team at rosie we we had to look at him individually and you know march and understanding the timeline for it and and the pivot up there and all of that has been important. So really, we've been looking concept by concept and how to best move forward while still taking care of our teams um, 100%. So, All right. Well, that brings me to the end of my questions, unless you have something you would like to add. I mean, everybody should buy pizzas and June's Rosé so they can donate to Black Lives Matter and the NAACP or whatever platform they feel to bring that cause um, up to the forefront. I will say that. Oh, also, yes, since Linda was on the show, she's awesome. Love her. And thank you to Houston Chef Meals because they helped us so tremendously with the yeah. community drives with our boxes throughout the 11 weeks that we did it. I mean, they were, they were bad. They were, yeah. they were great <clears throat> partners for well, well, to make I, that happen. So. Yeah, no, I will, I will definitely be taking you up on a bottle of June's rosé and a pizza uh, at least once before the month of June is over. Uh, June, before I let you go, you have to play the lightning round with me. Five easy questions, <laughs> five short answers. Okay. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. June Rodell, I, I asked chefs for their favorite cookbook, but 
since you're a sommelier, I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite varietal? Ooh, it is Chardonnay. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? It is Depeche Mode. That is a great answer. Wow. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Oh, Whataburger. Easy. Yeah. Number 13, always. All right. This is, this is one that uh, sometimes doesn't go very well for me. Do you have a favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Oh, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't. I. Did you have a favorite Longhorn from your time in Austin? Oh, Vince Young. All right. Very good. And then finally, when you go to a pizzeria for the first time, what is your go-to order? What are your favorite toppings? Uh, you got to order just the cheese because then you know what you're getting into right away. That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, June or Felipe or both of you, give us the uh, the website and the social media for at least Rosie Cannonball and, and whatever else you want to you want to include. Um, our website is www.rosiecannonball.com. Instagram at Rosie Cannonball. And then everything is just the name. MontreseCheeseAndWine.com at MontreseCheeseAndWine at MarchATX and MarchRestaurant.com. GoodnightCharlie's.com. Try to make it as simple as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank you both for doing this. Thank you. Such yeah, a pleasure. Thank, thanks for having us. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on CultureMap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.